High school, I used to be able to put my pencil over all my fingers. Now they've gotten older, I just can't do that anymore. Um, yeah, I could do that. I could do the one where you go back and forth real fast. Because I thought that's like what people that were like lawyers could do or something, or doctors, you know. I went into ministry instead, so I guess I did that. Now.
Well, welcome everyone. Here we are. Disciple making without the glyphs. Maybe you know what that means, maybe not. I thought it sounded sounded fun, so that's what I, I told the gang at USC. What we're going to be speaking about um, in our short time together is making disciples, but specifically with um, those of us who have a temperament that's maybe more reserved. Um, some of us are more shy or just quiet type people, more reflective. Uh, there's a word that's used called introvert. Well, I don't really like it that much because it's always used in a negative connotation with those of us who are a little quieter. Now, I know some of you in the room, you're the furthest thing from quote-unquote introvert. And so I don't know if you're here to make fun of us or to learn how to relate to your more quiet friends. My son is here. Um, he looks like me, but that's where it stops. Uh, <laughs> takes after his mother. He loves people. But we really want to understand how we can advance the kingdom in the unique, in the unique way that God made us. And we are uniquely made. And we're going to look at some, some verses that talk about that. I think for some of us, no matter what spectrum, and actually, I'm, I'm no psychologist, but from the, uh, the latest uh, science says there's about five different, um, there's not just introversion, extroversion, there's five categories, and they're all on a spectrum. So it's kind of a, a false dichotomy that we put out that you're either extroverted or introverted. It's really not that simple, but just for the sake of clarity, and um, I'm not an expert in that, we're going to kind of focus on those who are a little more quieter in the way that they relate, more introspective. And again, no matter where you are on that spectrum, uh, maybe there'll be some things here that encourage you, uh, help you work better on a team. My handout was five pages, and I thought about, do I drop that on you? So I put up the, uh, the main points, and then here's my email. And if you want the full thing, just email it to me. Uh, email me, and I'll send it to you. So I want to pray, and then we'll get started, okay? Father, thank you for these men and women and their commitment to make disciples. Oh, Lord God, there's nothing more beautiful than to join you in advancing the kingdom, building deeply into the lives of people. And the outcome would be multiplication, spiritual generations that love you, that resemble Christ. Oh God, I pray that in our short time together that you would speak, Holy Spirit, that you would prepare each and every one of us for what you want to say. God, you will not share your glory with another. Father, anything that happens today that's good, it's you. And we give you the credit for that. So Lord, I pray that you would just have the freedom to speak to us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I wanted to start out just some good old-fashioned uh, Bible. Harold Bullock, uh, an important uh, mentor in my life, I know for Neil, he'd always say to me that the Bible speaks to every area of life, and it really does. And the older I get, the absolute convinced I am that the Bible can speak to you about how to be a good student, how to get a raise at your job, how to care for your dog, how to love your wife, how to make disciples. The Bible speaks to every area of life. It is relevant. It is real. And it's just, it's a delight that the older I get and the more time I spend in the Word of God, the more I'm just surprised by how complete the Word of God is. And that's the way it should be. So, 
We want to set a biblical basis for what we're talking about. Because it would be easy to fall off into some psychology, psychobabble even, and walk out of here and not understand that the scripture speaks. So I want us to break up into teams, if we can. Uh, I know you're on spring break, but you know about group projects, right? They might be the bane of your existence at school, I don't know. I was a history major. We never had a group project. It was great. But I had to write papers all the time. So what I want to do is I would like maybe, and I'll let you decide how you want to do this, but I need a group of people, say about um, a quarter of the room, to get together and look up these four verses, Galatians, Philippians, 2 Timothy, and James, and just kind of talk about briefly, I'll give you some time, what the verses are saying. So can a group of you, about a quarter of the room, maybe 10, 10, 12 people, can you do that? Go ahead and say that's going to be the group we're going to be in. All right, thank you, Kevin. Then I need another group that you're only going to look at Psalm 139. There will be a few more verses, but you can handle it. Can I get another quarter of the room? Say we want to look at Psalm 139. Kind of back here in this corner. So Kevin is, and his group is back here against the window. They're looking at these four verses. My brother back here by the door, Psalm 139. Next, I would like uh, another group to maybe a quarter of the room to look at 1 Timothy 4, 11 through 16, and Jeremiah 1, 4 through 10. Someone wants to take lead on that? Okay, right up here, this part of the room. And you can move around, it's fine. So you'll be looking at Jeremiah 1, 4 through 10, 1 Timothy 4, 11 through 16. And then, of course, last but not least, the last group. Would someone like to be kind of a captain for that? Thanks, brother. So right up here at the front uh, with Kevin, Exodus 3:11 and 4, 1 through 17. Okay? So move to your group, and you're going to have about five minutes to look at these verses or passages, and you're just going to discuss what's happening here and the way it relates to our personality and our temperament. Go. So you're looking at these passages, you need to read through them, talk about it in, in, the, in light of the idea of personality, outgoing, more introspective, just what's happening here. I'm not looking for specific answers from you, I just want you to see that the, the Word of God does speak to different types of personalities pretty clearly, and different challenges that people face while trying to advance the Kingdom of God, okay? So get together, read, and discuss.
I'll give you another minute.
God's like really kind to like me. And he just has more anger for after like this is like no, I mean she has a pair of clothes like yeah. but then like I think God was still kind enough to provide her and like just help her to throw more and throw extra push so even if like he's still uncomfortable with it like God provided he still like provides it you <laughs> All right, everyone. Some of you had fewer verses, some more. That's okay. Life isn't fair. So why don't we start with this group over here that had Galatians, Philippians, 2 Timothy, and James. I just wrote down a word, um, a key word that I thought of or saw. This just helps me. But what, what did you all see, gang? Devin, you want to be the man? Yeah, whatever. Speak up a little bit. So what I heard you say, just to clarify, was that we're not to really, you know, be looking at each other in an idea of a comparison. Um, really rest in the way that God made us. It's for a purpose. And, um, you know, treat one another with um, respect and humility. Um, and I like the 2 Timothy 2.15, because it doesn't really put a qualifier whether you're outgoing or not. We need to know God as intimately as possible in his word and help other people understand that as well, right? So we all have the same outcomes. What, what about uh, the group that was working on, who was the next group over here? What passage were you looking at? All right, what did you see? Right. What a beautiful passage, right? I really challenge all of you all. Make note of Psalm 139. Yes, it has a specific context. It was written at a specific time. But the principle is just as true for you and me. It's actually one of the most powerful chapters in the Bible to really articulate the pro-life position of Christ followers. Each and every one of us are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uniquely designed by God. In the 70s, um, they had a phrase, God don't make no junk. And that's true. <laughs> right, Neil? You're not junk. You're precious and beautiful in the eyes of God. And you're made for a purpose. You're not an accident. I don't care what you were told growing up or by whom. This is the way God sees you and me. That's powerful. This is liberating stuff on a lot of other levels, too. Okay, next group. 
Is it over here? What'd you have? Uh, so we looked at Jeremiah 1, 4 through 10. Uh, in the passage, Jeremiah is saying that he can't speak because he's young and he doesn't know what to say. And God says, oh, don't worry, I'm gonna get, I'll, I put the words in your mouth. Um, so just the idea that uh, God has designed him exactly as he wants him and God is, it's God who's actually speaking and giving him the words he puts in his mouth. So he, Jeremiah is able to speak because it is God who is with him. The Bible says, God, God I, I will be with you. Wow. Yeah, so there's a couple of messages there in there about understanding the message we have. Um, we're the earthen vessel, but the message is eternal. It's God's. And yeah, there's times when we kind of are a little fearful, a little worry about our ability to, to be what God wants us to be. But the fact of the matter is, we're designed again very uniquely in the way that we're supposed to. God will take care of that if we trust him. So we see a little bit of a window into Jeremiah of, you know, maybe, we don't want to read too much into it, but maybe he wasn't as confident getting in front of people, particularly knowing that his message would be rejected by the nation over the life of his prophetic career. How would you like that ministry? You know, a ministry of rejection. But he stepped forward in obedience anyway. Who was next? Another group. Yes. Uh, we had Exodus. Okay. So um, God calls Moses to save the Jews, but... Moses does not feel qualified at all. Okay. But God shows him his power and gives him power. But Moses is still reluctant. Mm-hmm. But then God gets angry, but in his kindness, he gives him Aaron to speak on his behalf. A lot of people try to put Moses in some kind of a category for a temperament or personality. I, I just, I've never been comfortable doing that. I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I just want to take it at face value. No doubt about it. He didn't want to get up and speak in front of millions of people. And he kept on making excuses, and God kept on having answers. Was he an introvert or not? I mean, maybe, you know. I think it's, it's, it's difficult to take some of these uh, structures, a rubric, and then go back 3,000 years and lay it on people. But there's no doubt in this situation, he kind of struggled with some confidence that, like, are you sure, God? You sure you want me? Have you ever felt that way? And then, Neil, y'all have taught Enoch, 1 Timothy? Yeah, so in 1 Timothy, um, you know, in a larger context, you know, we look at, like, Timothy more as, like, a timid guy that Paul has to kind of encourage him and push him, you know, to basically live out a faithful life, you know, as a reminder for other believers as well. And so that in itself, living a faithful life, has nothing really to do with whether you're extrovert or introvert. In fact, a lot of things that you mentioned in there it's just how you live right. your life. Right. And I think that actually Josiah pointed out that's really cool is that, you know, in our first Bible it talks about there are things that are private, let's say prayer, quiet time and all that. But also in the verse it talks about there are things that are more public, like reading of scripture and all mm-hmm. that. So there's also that really interesting contrast. That's right. And we know that Timothy was a, a pastor in Ephesus. Was he a young pastor? Maybe. Likely. But, and we don't know what kind of uh, you know, lay people he had in his church. Maybe they're all fire breathers, you know, and captains of industry, and he was a little intimidated. I don't know. But regardless, the admonition to be faithful. So I think you can see in verses like these, I didn't cherry pick this. I feel like the Lord put these on my heart to share with you. We see uh, overriding principles of faith and humility and trusting God, resting in who God made us to be. And for particularly uh, maybe Jeremiah and Moses and these instances of their life and ministry, 
there was some doubt and a lack of confidence. And I think that's a reality for many of us. But isn't it interesting how God uses them? Okay? So let's talk a little bit about differences. So this is number one on your page. Number two, we're going to talk over some differences. And uh, this should sound familiar to some of you. Um, I really believe that there's just some misconceptions about people that are more shy or reserved in ministry. I do not believe it's impossible to be an effective disciple maker as well as more reserved. Those are not mutually opposed. I believe ministries need quieter, more reserved people. Not only are they typically more introspective and great thinkers, but they can be great connectors too, right? Well, it seems like the more outgoing people are the most fun at the parties. Sometimes people that are more reserved have an ability to connect with a person one-on-one that the guy wearing the lampshade and doing the dancing in front of everybody, he's going to miss out on those opportunities. You never know. So I think there's some strengths to being a more reserved disciple maker. And it seems to me that when we talk about introversion, it's typically in the negative, which again, I just have never, I never liked that. Maybe I'm being a little sensitive, but I've never heard of someone being referred to as more introverted in a positive way, particularly in ministry. It's not seen as a compliment. Um, the word extrovert, though, is synonymous oftentimes with entrepreneurial, charismatic, being a people person. Even the excess of a more extroverted temperament we, we talk about it in, in good ways, like, well, he's just got the gift of gab. Maybe they just talk too much. See? So I'm not saying that there's a conspiracy, but a lot of times people are quieter. Um, we get misjudged. Because when people think about people that are quieter, they think of people that keeps to themselves. Maybe they don't care for someone else's company. Maybe that person lacks confidence. However, isn't it interesting, when you go back and look at the book of Proverbs, and I know Randy Lanthrop has taught on that, Harold wrote a book, took him 13 years, he studied fools and folly and wisdom, he wrote a book called Sharper Strokes, it's amazing, but most of the time, the fool in Proverbs is the one who talks too much, you ever notice that? So again, I'd just like to reset the table a little bit more biblically to see that we need the full expression to effectively move the body forward. So being reflective and studious, observant, a thinker, we need people like that on our teams too, don't we? And in our campus ministries. There's a great book by Adam McHugh, M-C-H-U-G-H. It's called Introverts in the Church. And if you have a more quieter disposition, that might be a book that's helpful. It's a really well done book. And Adam says, living as an introvert in a society and a church that exalts extroversion can take its toll. Many people are pigeonholed and hurtful experiences come because extroverts are dominant in many ministry leadership positions. They're seen as better leaders. So let's talk a little bit more about some of these differences. We talk about high energy people, outgoing people, quick thinkers, fast actors, polished communicators. 
high energy handshakers. You know those people? Outreachers. I mean, it's easy to see how people that are really gifted that way get plugged in very quickly into ministry and reaching people. Man, do we need that? Absolutely. And so if you're quieter, sometimes it's like, well, maybe you fit best behind the scenes. Um, more of a serving role. You don't have much contact with people. And you have little obvious connection to ministry strategy and vision. I think when we do things like that, again, we have a fundamental misunderstanding of how God has wired us and put us together on teams. It can be a serious and costly mistake if we don't respect the power of these different personalities. Um, Susan Cain wrote a, a book called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World that Can't Stop Talking. I like that. Quiet, the power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking. Susan said, groups tend to follow the most dominant person in the room. Even though studies show there is zero correlation between good ideas and being a good talker. The best talker might have the best ideas. But he or she might not just as well. So any ministry that's missing and cultivating the influence of quiet and more reserved disciple makers will be far less deep, wise, and effective than it could be. So, extroverts, people are more outgoing, they get energized when they're with other people, right? We've seen that to be true. Does that describe some of you? Whereas people that are quiet or more reserved, they get energized when they're more by themselves. Uh, one introvert described it this way. An introvert is someone who finds other people tiring. <laughs> Sometimes that happens to us. Introverts usually prefer environments with less stimuli. Anybody ever just get overstimulated? You just get overwhelmed by all the voices and noise and things are moving so fast, you almost start to get a headache? Some of you are going, no, that's never happened to me. Well, that's my reality a lot. There's just so many things going on in the room, and I'm trying to pick up on all the signals. I just get, it's like white noise. I can't process it. It's too much at once. Whereas many people that are outgoing, they love all that stimulation. They feed on it. They grow more and more powerful. Remember the old Star Trek New Generation? It's like the Borg, you know? It just absorbs everything, gets bigger and more powerful, you know? In general, people that are more outgoing are typically very doer-oriented. They love action and activity. Whereas people that are quieter, usually, not all the time, but usually, they like to understand things and process. Do you see why we need both so important in a ministry? Extroverts are great talkers. Introverts are usually more thoughtful. Extroverts can be impulsive. Sometimes we need that. Sometimes we don't. People that are more outgoing can be restless when they're alone, and they want to seek out the company of other people, right? Whereas sometimes people that are a little more quieter, they need time alone to regroup and think. There's a lot of stuff going on upstairs. I've got a lot of extroverts in my life. My wife, my son, my best friends. Seems like most of the people around me are very outgoing. And these friends and family, they need to talk and think out loud. They formulate their opinions and come to conclusions by verbal processing. Sound familiar to some of you? 
Well, that's great, but I don't work that way. I like to think through something, have some time alone to process it. I need some solitude and reflection to get away from the noise to kind of understand what's happening. And then I can come and talk about it with you. Introverts often can concentrate on something and really focus in. I've got some uh, outgoing people in my family and in my close network of friends. They get easily distracted by all the fun things happening around them. And part of me wishes, man, I wish I could be fun. I've never been fun. I've never, not for a day in my life, been fun. Now, my son thinks I'm funny. That's different than being fun. But the beauty about it is those people can take the burden off of me. My friends and family that are fun, they get out and they get all the stuff done. They're laughing, all the great parties, and then I can just show up. <laughs> Finally, another kind of difference. Oftentimes, people that are more outgoing, they can really connect with a lot of people in a short amount of time. And that is really crucial in developing relationships and evangelism and friends. That's why, though, on the other side, many introverts are bad at small talk because we don't connect with a lot of people quickly. So making small talk is hard because we want to get down deep. We want to talk about things that, in our minds, are really substantial. And so going from person to person very quickly and getting to know them, you know, name, hometown, and major, that's, that's a lot of white noise. And maybe you'd rather talk to two or three people over the course of an hour instead of 30 or 40. Again, going back to Psalm 139 and Jeremiah 1, did you know all the stuff that I've been talking about just now has to do with the way our brains work? Remember, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Research has shown that there are fundamental differences in the way brain activity happens with people that are outgoing and people that are more quiet and reserved. Extroverts have a lot more activity in the back of their brain, and that part of the brain deals with sensory input. So people that are outgoing are masters at quickly reading things, making fast decisions, processing a lot of information quickly. That's important, isn't it? Introverts, on the other hand, have more activity in the front of the brain. That's the thinking part of the brain. That doesn't mean that extroverts aren't good thinkers. That doesn't mean that introverts can't meet people. That they've tracked this, and they can see the, uh, the way the brain activity works. And one study showed that people that are more quiet, more introverted, the, the brain signals take a longer time to work through the brain than someone that's more outgoing or extroverted. Hence, that's why some of us that are quieter, it just takes us longer to respond. Because literally, our brain signals go a longer way around our brain. Isn't that interesting? Some of y'all are probably studying that. You could get up here and lead a whole seminar, right? Not me. I just read about it. Statistics show um, there's a majority of people in the planet today that are more outgoing than people that are more quiet or reserved. And for those of you that are more quiet, more introverted, there is a correlation between IQ and introversion. People that are typically higher educated and higher IQs tend to be more introverted. So if you've got an older brother or sister that's really outgoing and you're not, you can tell them that. I'm smarter than you, okay? <laughs> then they'll just talk you to death about it. So those are some differences. We could go around 
And maybe that'd just be good. Um, let's just take a minute and do that. Maybe from, from you all, what, what are some differences you see between maybe more outgoing people, more um, people more quiet or reserved? Something I didn't say. Yeah, brother. Sure. That's right. Somebody else? Something that you see that I didn't I didn't say. Yes, brother. That's right. Hmm, isn't there a verse about that, Neil? About deep waters and drawing out. Anybody know that? What I'm talking about? Come on, Kevin. You know what I'm talking about? When we do this, let's make it fun. This is what Dawson Trout used to do. You need to go look it up, and uh, if you find it and you come to me, um, I'll get you a gift. How's that? Okay. First three people, another verse I'm talking about. Obviously not during the workshop. You come up to me, and uh, I'll get, we'll work a little something-something. Okay? All right. Let's talk about curses and blessings. Because it's not all good about being more quiet or reserved. I think for those of us who are disciple makers and we really want to advance the kingdom and raise up generations of multiplying disciples, you get labeled and I think there's sometimes when um, people make judgments for you and, and one common label of introverts is that they don't like people. If that wasn't true, then why in the world would we be making disciples? Okay, so maybe we need to create some new categories, I'm not sure. But you know, you can be an outgoing introvert. You know what I mean? You can be a person that really has a heart for people. You love people, you love the gospel. You love to tell people about Jesus. You love to do one-on-ones and really train people to walk with God and reproduce spiritually. But I think, again, a negative label is that we don't like people. I don't think that's necessarily true. Now there are some people that don't like people. But they can be outgoing as well as reserved too, right? Another curse um, that kind of seems to be popular around being introverted is that we lack deep relationships. <clears throat> Typically, people are more introverted. We thrive when we can go deep with a few close friends. But if you're a leader in your ministry at church or with challenge, there's an expectation that you're leading a number of people. You need to relate to a lot of people. You go to you know, a back-to-school event or a retreat like this. You're a small group leader. You're expected to be on and connect with a lot of people, make them feel welcome, regardless of your temperament. Well, man, that can be a real challenge for some of us. And as you go further into spiritual leadership, it can become very lonely because of the pressure to be giving yourself to a lot of people that maybe um, you really want to go deep with a few. Okay? So you have to find a way to reconcile that a little bit. How do I have a good testimony? I don't want to come off as aloof. I don't want people to think I don't care. But I'm really not charged by getting to know everybody in this room this afternoon. But in spiritual leadership, there are just certain expectations. And then a third thing we need to watch out for is, is real burnout. The definition of someone who's more introverted is someone who recharges with alone time. And this can be hard. You've got class 
You got a related class, right? You got meetings at night with challenge. You're doing one-on-ones with people you're discipling. You're in church on Sunday. You got all these events running around. Go to a ball game. So it's difficult to carve out time in your life to reflect, to recharge. If you have roommates or you live with your family, evenings at home and vacations can actually be more exhausting than rejuvenating, right? Why? Because you need to be on around your family and your roommates, or they automatically ask, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? What are you thinking? Uh, Nothing's wrong. I don't know what I'm thinking right now, you know? And so you need to find out ways. You need to lead yourself as a disciple maker. What does the rhythm look like? What does the pace look like? To love God over the long haul, walk with him, build deeply into the lives of men and women, handling accurately the word of God as a diligent workman, but do so in a way that you don't get blown out emotionally, overwhelmed. So you might have to put up some boundaries and have accountability about that. If you don't take time out from the constant relational stimulation, so you can pray, read, revitalize, You can go to some really bad places after a while. Max Barnett always told me, the man who's always available isn't worth much when he's available. I think that's just a good general principle. If you're always putting yourself out there, and you extroverts too, hear me. If you're always putting yourself out there and you don't take time to spend time in the Word and in prayer, working on your verses, reading, resting, Max also said, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. And he's proved it. I remember I'd go by to see him, and I worked under him, and he'd be laid out on his couch taking a nap in the afternoon. He's like, oh, okay. I'm not going to bother. See, that man understood how to give yourself to people but have some margin to reflect, spend time with Jesus, and recharge. And nobody does it better than Max Barnett. Well, what are some blessings? Okay? There's some blessings as well. Typically... More introverted, quiet people can have really strong leadership skills. Why is that? I thought it was the entrepreneurial, charismatic, outgoing guy that make the great leaders. Well, they can be, no doubt. However, people that are quieter and more reserved, when they are in a place of solitude, they can reflect. They can think through the direction of challenge, the vision, strategy. They can value depth, and they can think about, how can we improve this? How can we make that more effective? Typically, introverts don't need to be at the center of attention, which allows us to push our teammates forward and bless them and serve them. So you can see that being more reserved, you can be a powerful leader, someone who clearly understands the vision, is bringing a value add when you come to leadership team meetings because you've had time to think, take it apart, pray through it, put it back together, and make suggestions, right? A second thing, another real blessing to being more quiet is we get the opportunity to speak second. Those of us who are more outgoing, we got so many great things we want to say, and they're really great, and they're funny, and it's just great, you know, 
you're, you're always jumping in to, to say what you know God's put on your heart to say. Well, we need people like that. But maybe others of us who are more quiet and reserved, we can really develop the skill of listening, and we can take that to another level. Particularly in a one-on-one or discipleship situation, right? You need to be a good listener, drawing people out. Typically, introverts are natural listeners. Whether it's a counseling session, it's a meeting, maybe you're giving constructive criticism, learning how to ask questions and being a good listener before you start making your suggestions can really bring a lot of power. Here's something I learned from my friend John Strapazon many, many years ago. And John is the opposite of me. He's outgoing, he's charismatic, he's funny. He's quick. I think his degree was in marketing. He'd always say, Kels, I'm going to bring sizzle to your steak. I didn't even know what that meant, but it, it, it sounded good. But Strap would also say, he or she who talks most loses. That's very insightful from someone who's very extroverted. He or she who talks most loses. Now, he was talking about from his background in marketing, he was a used car salesman for a while. You know guys that sell cars, right? So he said, in spiritual leadership, developing the art of listening and asking questions really provides you a place of authority and influence than just bombarding people with your words, right? Why don't we do this? We're going to take a minute. I want to hear some feedback. And if maybe a couple of you guys could prop open a door before we all fall asleep in here, okay? So what's some feedback so far? before we move on. Agree, disagree? You're processing and you're listening and you're going to take time to respond and I respect that. Yes? I really like your point about how introverts Yeah. Because that's something you know, that can be really hard to overcome too. Is that you know when everybody's like, oh, he you know just doesn't like to be around people. That's not how it is. We do right. like to be around people, but we're not the life of the party. Right. I think it might, I might have heard it from Neil, so I'll give you credit, and you can correct me later, Neil. But when people don't have all the information at hand, they will fill in the blank with their fear. Okay. So as people are getting to know you and kind of sizing you up, if you are more quiet, more reserved, and you're kind of waiting and you're processing, that maybe that new person or that extrovert, they're like, why aren't they talking? Why aren't they talking as fast as me? They're just looking at me. And you start getting self-conscious, and maybe you struggle with self-esteem or comparison. And then next thing you know, we're filling in the blank. Well, that person doesn't like me. They're aloof. They're mad. Which is furthest from the truth. But I think it's just a good place to know when you relate to people and they don't have all the information, they will fill in the blank with their fear and their doubt. Not an accurate picture of actually what's happening. And guys, you do it too. Everybody does it. But just knowing that about yourself, knowing that about other people, be patient, take your time, persevere. And the more that we can put the Word of God in our lives, the more we can start to reprogram, because that is not biblical thinking. Okay? There is truth, and it will set you free. All right, let's keep going a little bit more, and then we'll have some questions. How do we take care 
of introverts. How do we maximize their contribution in the body and challenge local church, your small team, leadership team, overseas team, project team, Bible study, whatever it might be? Here's some suggestions. Either that you need to do for yourself, or again, in the context of, you know, you're saying, I want to be a disciple maker. I really want to advance the kingdom. This breaks my heart. It keeps me awake at night. I've got a vision. I bought in. I'm all in. But I want this to work itself out of my personality in a way that makes sense. Introduce, number one, introduce some silence every now and then. So whether you're extroverted or not, okay, whether you're leading as an extrovert, you're leading as an introvert, introduce times of silence. Because this will make the quieter people very happy. They need time to reflect, silent prayer. They need time to recharge. So as you're leading, whatever it is you're leading, know that there's some people in there that just need some space, some gaps. Put that in there. Because nonstop sensory stimuli can really be overwhelming. In a retreat like this, or a camp, or a weekend retreat, always build in alone time. Don't schedule every minute full with activities. This is a great schedule, right? Because we do get time to process, think through what we've learned from Dan and Pat or Seth, and also have time with our friends, right? So you need to create that. Give that space. If you're in a decision-making role and you're working on a team, you've got a group of people with you, allow time for people to process before the decision is made. Now, sometimes there's an emergency. You've got to make a decision on the spot. I understand that. But most of life isn't that way. So as you're leading, give people time to think, to come back and talk about it some more. Don't get in a hurry. If you're leading a small group Bible study, make sure that you give time in your small group for the quiet people to respond. Don't get in a hurry to move on to the next thing. And if you've got that one person that talks and answers every question, you know who I'm talking about. Praise God, because they have something great to say. But if you notice that the introverts are sitting back and just letting that person do all the talking, a great thing to do is, after the group is over, in private, pull them aside and say, brother, sister, I really appreciate what you're adding to the group. It's awesome. Have you noticed that there's some people in our group that aren't speaking very much? They're pretty quiet. Would you help me draw them out the next time we have Bible study? Give them a job. I've done it over the years. It's been wonderful to see these very outgoing, extroverted people. You know, they'll, of course, they're always the first ones to speak. And they're like, hey, Enoch, what do you think? Hey, Josiah, you know? And then next thing you know, they're like trying to draw people out around the room. What a great way to serve and bless people. Moving on a little bit more. Don't force quiet people to talk. I mean, if someone isn't ready to speak, don't embarrass them in the group and pin them down. They might really be processing some deep things and they're just not ready yet. So you need to have some sensitivity. And you can reward quiet people by listening better to what they have to say when they do speak up. Really give that a hearing. Because oftentimes, people that are quieter, their opinions drown out in all the noise of the people that are more outgoing and extroverted. So show the respect, because they've had time to think this through. They've weighed it. Now they're finally ready to speak. It might be really, really good. 
So give it your undivided attention. If you're a leader, maybe a great way that you can lead people in your team that are quiet and more reserved is schedule one-on-ones with them. If everything's in a group setting, they might never really feel that comfortable to talk and engage. But if you meet with them individually, they might come up with some ideas that they wouldn't share in the group. Right? Also, when you're training in ministry, again, you're, you're a disciple maker and you're training people. Let people that are quiet, more introverted, observe first, give time to process before you call them to action. Many people that are quieter are very observant. I think it was John Hawkins that told me one of the most effective ways to be a servant is, number one, you have to be observant. Servants always see the need in the room. So you have to be observant, but then number two, you have to take initiative based on what you've seen. Well, if you're quieter and more introverted, there can be a little bit of time of, okay, here's the need, I see it, I need to think about it, come up with a plan, put it into action. So if you're leading people on your team that are quieter and more introverted, give them that space. Ask them, what are you seeing? What are you observing? Have you thought about a strategy or an approach to help us get that done? Because they might be really ahead of the game. Um, a little matrix, we don't have time to um, go into a lot of detail here, but it's called the read-act paradigm. And my friend Jim Presnell showed that to me years and years ago. And it was the result of an extensive Air Force study in the area of leadership. And most people are really good at either reading the situation or taking action. The great leaders can read and act well. But some of us, we're big A. We just jump in and throw a bunch of dirt in the air and make a lot of noise, you know? We act. Others of us, we're really good at sitting back and observing and watching very carefully. So maybe at some other time, if you want to grab a meal with me, I can show you the read-act paradigm. It really helps think through leadership, the way God designed you, and how it can be more effective. Whether you're outgoing or ingoing, connecting with people is a skill, and you can learn a skill. I think it helped that I married an extrovert, and my best friends are extroverts, but I made a conscious decision. I'm going to be in full-time ministry. I don't want people to think I hate them. I'm going to learn some skills about how to stand up in front of people and speak, how to walk up to somebody I don't know and ask their name, how to talk to people. You can learn. Don't use your extroversion or introversion as an excuse to not be walking in depth, being faithful, and being obedient to the Great Commission. Don't hide behind that. That's sin. So you can learn some skills to really go after people and love them well. I'm a result of that, and I'm still learning too. But I also know probably at the end of this uh, week, I'm going to go home and rest for a little while too, you know? Whereas my son is just going to go to school and start all over, right? Yep. Okay. A few other things really quickly because I want to have some Q&A with you. Um, introverts don't like to be interrupted when they're working on something because they're very focused, um, particularly if there's a deadline. And so a lot of chaos or interruption can really be disruptive to introverts. 
So again, if you're leading a team, you've got people around you that are more quiet and reserved, and they're working on a project, again, give them that space to get their work done. Now, we know that sometimes emergencies happen. It's out of people's control. But you'll get their best work that way. But if you bird dog them, um, what I mean by that is if you're hovering over them, or you're always asking them questions, or, hey, how's it going? They've got to disengage, think about what you're saying, process it, respond, okay, and then go back to whatever the work was. And that, that can just be really chaotic for us, right? Um, I remember after I got right with Jesus, I was a second semester sophomore at OU. I was 19 years old. I was a mess prior to that. My life revolved around alcohol and bad decisions. Uh, I got right with Jesus in April of 1992. And then as soon as the semester was over, I went to work in a glass factory. And for three months, I shoveled glass, 70 hours a week. This isn't one of those sad songs. It was just true. Um, I had to, I'd lost all my scholarships because of my bad decisions. I had to make some real money so I could go back to school in the fall. Well, in the glass factory, it's not like Laverne and Shirley, if you've watched that on TV land, okay? I had ear protection, eye protection, hard hat, long sleeve shirts, pants, steel-toed boots, and it's so loud in there, you can be right next to somebody and they're yelling at you and you can't hear them. But I loved it because I could work for hours by myself shoveling glass, meditating on the Word of God, praying, and really claiming God's promises for my life. It was a great summer for me. It was hard really hard. But that time alone to really process and think through what God was doing in my life since April really changed me. And I came back to OU as a junior, a transformed, very different person. So, man, building that into your life somehow can be great. Um, I would say this maybe before we move on to the next thing. If you're a, if you're a spiritual leader in the ministry, you're a disciple maker, and you've got people that are working with you that are quiet, more reserved, it is important that you help them connect what they're doing to the bigger vision of the ministry. I think it's really important for people that are more quiet and reserved because they do put a lot of mental energy into what they say and do. They don't want to waste their time on things that don't matter. So you need to be a vision broker. And even as an introvert, that's one of my primary roles. I worked for a campus ministry at OU in eight, for 18 years. For 12 years, I led the ministry. And really, the primary thing I did was cast vision and train our staff. I was constantly taking people back to our mission, to know, love, and glorify God, and in dependence upon him, develop multiplying disciples to reach the nations over and over and over and over and over again. Because Neil knows, and Paul Wooster knows, that the enemy of the best is often a good thing, a good idea that can take you off God's mission for the ministry. So if you're leading, always casting that vision, whether you're extrovert, introverted, doesn't matter, but so that those people that are quieter, more reflective, they understand what I do has eternal impact, and this matters. I'm not just over here making widgets, but I'm a vital part of the kingdom to advance the gospel and the glory of God. Right? Amen. So be, be all about the vision. And then just finally here, some final thoughts. If you're more quiet, you're more reserved, I want to challenge you. Take some time and understand who you are, how God made you. If you don't know your tendencies, it's going to be difficult for you to thrive on teams and in ministries like these. Second, you need to set good expectations that are realistic of yourself as an introvert. 
oftentimes we have these high, pie-in-the-sky expectations, and then we get disappointed. We get our feelings hurt. You need to be open and honest. First heart attitude, Philippians 2, 3, and 4, right? You know, and put the interest of others above your own. You need to do that because your team needs to know that about you. They need to know how you're wired. You need to have some healthy communication. And so then they can help you be accountable to some goals that you set on how to lead yourself and not get burned out and not get discouraged. And then finally, you need to organize your calendar. You need to organize your calendar. You cannot be all things to all people if you're an introvert. You just can't. You are, you are called to be authentic and honest and hardworking. Harold Bullock says, the currency of the kingdom is faithfulness. Oh, I love that. The currency of the kingdom is faithfulness. That's what we're called to be. So get organized and plan. And you know, you might very well marry or date or your best friends be outgoing extroverted people. That's God's way of loving you and helping complete you. And you can help them as well. When I would travel and speak in ministry engagements, I would take people with me that were more outgoing than me. Because they could go out there and run interference and talk to 500 people while I'm talking to five. Be intentional about forming your relationships. Learn some work balance, life balance. And just see that God made you as a blessing. Lead out of your strength. Don't be ashamed of who you are. You have something to offer. And you know, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. God's grace will cover whatever the deficit is. So you extend grace to one another, and you extend grace to yourself. This is how God made me. How can I thrive for the kingdom? Well, I think that's enough of that. What questions or comments or feedback do you have for me? Yes? Well, that, that definitely described me. I, I had a staff of 14 this time last year. And with the exception of one or two, they were all outgoing, more sanguine, people-powered people. And um, they hated meetings. I kind of do too. So one way that I led them and blessed them was we kept our meetings very short and to the point. Um, and then as we were praying together and working as a team, now there's just some things that we all have to do together. You know, we've all got to do the heavy lifting of this or that. But I would put um, Brent Jenkins into ministry opportunities that really put him around people the majority of the time. And he thrives. And then Alex Miller, who's more quiet and reserved, I found that he really thrived helping with details. So just really exploring with your team strengths and weaknesses, being focused as a leader as to what you want and the outcomes, and then really empowering and giving away your leadership to them to work in areas of the ministry where they can thrive. And honestly, they're going to do a better job than you. My staff made me look so much better than I really am. I mean, it's not even fun. Neil knows. I mean, it's like, what's this guy doing? The longer you talk to me, the more unimpressed you are, you know? But I had a great team. And because Max Barnett told me, surround yourself with people that compliment your weaknesses. Not say, hey, that's a great weakness. That's not what I'm talking about. They compliment your weaknesses. They come alongside and fit just right 
So you can be more effective and they can be more effective. Another question or comment? Maybe from a sister. Any ladies have something to ask, say? It's okay. I'm not going to press you. Yeah. just the truth. Uh, again, I'm not that smart, okay, brother? So I just, I don't know when this was, college or seminary. I just envisioned a light switch. And I knew when I was going into church or a social situation, I don't even know how biblical this is, just what I did. I just envisioned me flipping the light switch. Of course, it turned it off, but let's go this way. Um, I, just, I, would, I would see in my mind, okay, I'm going to make a conscious decision to be outgoing and go talk to people. And so I'd flip the switch. And then when I'd go home, I would flip that thing off. And I mean, I'm 44 years old, I still do that. When I know I'm gonna be around a group of people I don't know very well, or there's certain expectations on me, in my mind I just say, okay, I'm gonna make a conscious decision to serve people by not making them accommodate me. I'm gonna accommodate them. I'm gonna to go to them. I can do that in short periods of time. I just can't do that every day, all day. And for some reason, that really, that just made sense to me and that helped me. Yes? Um, when you do get like overwhelmed with like a lot of people and things, is there a way to like sort of not shut down? Topamax is my friend. Um, <laughs> I, I get migraines, I mean, honestly. Um, besides the pharmaceutical help. Um, <laughs> I think you just need to know your boundaries. I think the older you get, sister, you'll, you'll get more comfortable with who you are in Christ. Galatians 2.20. Man, you know, Jesus lives in me, and I am fundamentally changed. 2 Corinthians 5.17. I'm a new creature, okay? So walking in the confidence of who God made me, I know when I start pushing the red line, I can feel it. I know what my kind of triggers are when I'm getting overwhelmed. And then how can I politely and discreetly pull back a little bit? Because if I don't, then for the next two or three days, I'm down with a migraine. I'm not any good to anybody. And that's just how I'm designed, okay? Um, honestly, there's some things. I'm not a poster boy for this, but I think the better you take care of yourself physically, there's so much that we don't understand in the relationship between our physical health and our emotional mental health. So good nutrition, exercise, good diet, sleep, a lot of water. You'd be amazed about how that helps your sense of well-being and your outlook, too. The better I take care of myself in those ways, the better I can function around you. <coughs> One of my dear friends, I discipled him. Um, he's an MD, PhD at Duke. He's the leading expert on dengue fever in the United States. I didn't even know there was such a thing, but that's my friend Micah. And Micah has helped me understand just how much nutrition and exercise really affects our core and who we are. So, even spiritually in our walk with God. So when I have those kind of questions, I call Micah out at Duke, and he, he really is on the front end of some of that research. So uh, take care of yourself. But you need to also know kind of what your little triggers are when you need to pull back. Don't run the red light. One more question. 
We'll go. Yes? Do you have advice for an introvert who's discipling another introvert who has difficulty getting past that barrier? Yeah. Yeah, I've trained some guys like that, and we've had some real long, long looking, just staring at each other, you know? <laughs> um, I think even what we were talking about just this afternoon, why not just be honest and say, hey, let's set some expectations. Um, let's explore how God made us. Because I think if the expectation is, okay, I want to give my life to you, I want to love you, I want to help grow you, so that you can be an effective disciple maker, it just it might have take a very different timeline or approach than somebody else's one-on-one. -on -one. See, what we do is we compare. It's not moving as fast or not as dynamic as someone sharing this great story about a one-on-one -on -one they had. Then you could go to her, you sit down, you set some expectations, and you trust this to God. Now, one thing I learned long ago by the navigators was the principle of cross-training. And, you know... You might have to go alongside and encourage her, but get her exposed to some other people besides you who can speak to other areas of the Christian life, and maybe they have a different temperament than you do, too. You're their primary disciple maker, but I find that really a, a well-rounded approach to training people requires community. And just like that athlete that'll take a break in their workout regimen to swim or bike helps them be a better football player and vice versa, things like that. We need to take those concepts and apply it spiritually it's true. So get her together with a different gal for a week or two with an assignment. Here's what I want you to work on. And then get some feedback and see if that maybe will help open things up a little bit, jumpstart things. That's helped me a lot. Well, you guys were great. Stick around if you want to ask a question. Otherwise, we need to go to dinner, right? Father, thank you for these men and women. And Lord, you made the rainbow. You, you made the human eye and it's no wonder that you would have such a delightful complexity and personality and temperaments and spiritual gifts. Lord, we don't want to look and judge anyone. Oh my, look at that. They're just outgoing and crazy. Or, oh man, look at that. They just want to sit in the corner and be a wallflower. Lord, help us to extend grace, to relish the power of diversity, how we can work together as teams, and clearly to go and make disciples of all nations so that we can be effective in advancing the kingdom together as a community. So Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters that you would bless them and you would accomplish your purposes this week and beyond in the name of Jesus. Amen. something I still wrestle with is there's a, like I had a boss last year like every time I try to connect with him those first several times it just went bad I was like man I can't seem to make a good impression with this guy and then the Lord reminded me just pray walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and even when you're weak he is strong you are there for a short amount of time 
But I think that we lose sight of these people that you're going to be meeting in Germany. They need to see the full breath. Everybody on the team is outgoing and going for it. When we can send out the image, that's what it looks like to the God to make disciples. And that's not true. So you can actually end up hurting somebody when you try to be something you're not. So sometimes you have to live with the ambiguity and just pray and say, Lord, you just do with that whatever you want. But you need to be yourself. You've got to learn how to minister in your own skin. And if you don't hit it out of the park the first time, who does every time? Right? So I think just modeling that vulnerability, you will lead your team well, and you're going to connect with certain Germans that they need to see that in you. Okay? But it is a mature man that can do that. Because, again, we want to compare. We put this pressure on ourselves. we got to be perfect. But you're not. Okay? Yeah. So 